We're going to be finishing this 18th chapter of Acts uh, as we look at verses 24 through 28, these last five verses of the chapter. And we're standing, of course, in honor of the word of God. Luke writing, of course, writes this, beginning in verse 24, and I'm reading out of the New King James Version of the word. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And Father, we pray that you be with us this morning. Lord, as you remind us of these truths, even shared in this passage, the reality that Jesus is the Christ, that, that we have come to faith through your grace. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. God, we pray that you just have your way as we continue to worship you today, bowing before your word that you've given to us. Have your way now, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, as we closed out with verse 23, of course, we, we, we saw that Paul had been to Ephesus, uh, and he left Ephesus. We see that in verse 21. Uh, he landed in Caesarea and went up to Jerusalem in verse 22, as he had told the people in Ephesus, as they wanted him to stay there, uh, to be with them for a longer period of time. And he said, no, I've got to get to Ephesus, and I, I need to celebrate the feast there. We're not sure which feast. I, I think it's easily to it's easy to assume that it may have, it could have been the, pe the the feast of Passover, but we we don't really know because it's not mentioned to us. But he wanted to keep the feast there. And then in verse 22, uh, well, he landed it in, uh, and went to Jerusalem. Verse 22. Then verse 23, he had spent some time there in Jerusalem. Um, we don't know how long few weeks, couple months, we really don't know. I would assume it was a fairly short amount of time. Uh, I'm thinking less than a month, but we don't really know. Uh, but he was there for some time, and then he departed for his third missionary journey, as we see there in verse 23. He went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. So once again, we see there the importance of uh, of Paul and how he saw it as something important for him. You know, his second and now his third missionary journey were, were prompted out of his desire to follow up with those churches, with the people in those churches to see how they were doing. You know, and, and we see the importance of, you know, follow-up ministry, the importance of, uh, of discipleship ministry, and staying in touch with people just to see how they're doing in the things of God. Well, we see here in this first verse that we're looking at today, in this particular passage, that there was a certain Jew by the name of Apollos. I mean, who ever heard of a Jew named Apollos, right? I mean, that's Greek if you ever heard it, right? Well, yeah, he, he, he was from the Greek culture, of course, but born at Alexandria, there in Egypt, North Africa, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, he came to Ephesus. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about who this Apollo, Apollos actually was. Um, we see here that he's described as a Jew born at Alexandria. 
Now, as he was born there at Alexandria, we see that he was born into the Egyptian world, which was obviously by this time heavily influenced by the Greek culture. Um, Alexander the Great, uh, the, the Great had, had conquered the, the uh, uh, area around the Mediterranean uh, several hundred years before this. The Greek culture was, was, very, was very entrenched in that part of the world. But he was born into the Egyptian world at the same time. You know, the, the same culture that 1,900 years earlier, um, Joseph was taken uh, as a slave, and he rose up to the place where he was the prime minister of, of Pharaoh and used by God to save the Jewish nation. Uh, 1,500 years earlier than this, 400 years after Joseph, it was Moses who was raised in that culture, and God got him out for 40 years to prepare him for the work that he had for him to deliver the people of Israel from Egypt. We understand that to be true. In the Old Testament, Egypt was seen as uh, uh, primarily as, as an enemy of Israel, wasn't it? However, King Solomon made an alliance with Egypt by marrying Pharaoh's daughter. We saw in years later that Judah made an alliance with Egypt to, for strength and protection against Babylon. But these alliances were all condemned by the Lord because in making these alliances, the people, the king in particular, was basically saying, I am going to put my trust in this nation to help me. I'm not going to put my trust in God. And that's why these alliances were condemned by the Lord. Just, and, and there's so much more that we could say about Egypt, but we, we get kind of an understanding of where things are coming from. So, so even as we're looking at um, the, the things in, in, in regard to Apollos being from Egypt, that's some of the background history and, 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 and uh, the way that Jews, even in that particular time, would look toward the Egyptians. Uh, and it's it just something that is an important thing to, to, to consider. But we're told that he was an eloquent man, uh, likely based on the fact that Alexandria was an intellectual center of the world, really, especially in Egypt, of course, but in the world, with a world-renowned library. Um, it was, as I said, an intellectual center, and because he was raised there, it's probably because he was Alexandrian. It, it was an educational center, an intellectual center. You know, uh, great universities, uh, one of the largest uh, libraries in the world, and so forth. And so, based on his intellectual pursuits, he became a man who was very uh, well-learned and uh, a very well-read person. He, he probably learned how to debate there. He was that kind of a guy. He, he would have made a great lawyer, you know, uh, a, a, a great Jewish scribe, perhaps. But he was very well-versed in the scriptures. In fact, this, this, this word eloquent, uh, in, the, in the Greek, it gives us the sense that it, it is characterized by speaking with precision, elegance, force, and persuasion, especially as a result of study. That's what this word eloquent really means. He's described as a man who is mighty in the scriptures. Uh, his learning and his eloquence, coupled with his powerful treatment of the Old Testament made him a very powerful, devastatingly powerful to his opponent as a debater. And so he was able to convince, he was able to refute, he was able to rebuke through the scriptures, as we see here, we get that sense here in this passage uh, in, in regard to the person of, of Jesus. You know, um, it's interesting that this, this term, mighty in the scriptures, is used of no other person in the New Testament. Only Apollos. I mean, you get the sense that this was, wasn't one smart dude. 
I mean, you won't, you won't see those words in the Bible, but you know, he was, he was, he was a smart guy and, and very well educated and able to, de- to debate, uh, powerful in a very real sense. He was fervent in spirit as well. James Montgomery Boyce writes this, uh, what is mentioned here is fervor, and this means not merely skill on his part, but conviction based on something deeply embedded in his heart. So it wasn't just something in his mind, in his brain, it was in his heart. But because his mind was so well trained, it enabled him to be this kind of a debater, this kind of a person who could convince in, in, a, in a very real sense others in regard to the reality of Jesus being the Christ, being the Messiah. Well, what was his training? Well, we're told here that he was instructed in the way of the Lord. This word way, it is one that we see obviously throughout the scriptures, the ways of God and the ways of man and so forth, right? Uh, The Greek word literally means road or path. In fact, we see in Matthew 21, 8, it says, and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. You know what this is describing, right? Palm Sunday, the week before the resurrection. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The word road there is the same uh, here as, as way. And we see this word also in James 1.8, which says, He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. It, it's, it speaks of uh, figuratively, well, it literally means road or path. Figuratively, it refers to either a person's conduct, his lifestyle, the way that he or she behaves, our walk with the Lord, right? Uh, or it can refer to this, at this time, this new Christian sect that had come out of Judaism. The way. Several times in the book of Acts, we, we see following Jesus as the way. That, that's what the sect was called. And so really, what, what we now refer to in our culture as Christianity was called the way then. And that's how it became known. So this idea of, of, of the way, but you know, one thing that I want to hit on is, is the reality of the idea of um, conduct. Because we see that he was trained, he, he was taught, instructed in the way of the Lord. It doesn't say that he was, he was instructed in the teachings of the Lord, but in the way of the Lord. And that would speak to me in regard to the way that Jesus actually lived his life. Who he was, I should say who he is, and the way that he lived his life while he, he was here on this earth. Obviously as an example for us, but he, but he is that example because of the way that he lived because of his lifestyle, because of the way that he portrayed his uh, um, perfect character. And obviously, as an example to us to follow. But we see that the instruction that Apollos received was limited. Now, I, 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 I want to go to a couple of New Testament passages in the Gospels that, that speak of John. But we're told here that he, he only knew of, of John's baptism, of the baptism of John. That, that's, that's what he knew in regard to his instruction. He only knew the baptism of John, we see there in verse 25. He did, uh, in, the, in his fervency of spirit, he taught accurately the things of the Lord. What he taught was true, but it was incomplete. He, he only knew of the baptism of, of John. So he was a disciple of John, and he was making disciples of John. He was doing so very accurately, but he didn't have the whole picture. We see in 
Luke chapter 3, verses 2 through 18. This is one of those passages. In fact, in all four of the gospel accounts, we see uh, uh, all of them give an account of John the Baptist and who he was and what his ministry was like. But we see in Luke chapter 3, verses 2 to 18, this is a fairly extensive passage, but I want to read this with you because it gives us a sense of John the Baptist's ministry. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. That was primarily John's ministry, a baptism of repentance. Repentance from what? Well, repentance of sins and the, re- and the remission of sins. Now, the baptism of repentance could not remit our sins, but it would lead up to that because he was, of course, the forerunner of the Messiah, right? Who introduced Jesus, of course which we'll look at in just a moment. Verse verse 4, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So that passage from Isaiah speaks of the manner of life as well as salvation. Verse 7, Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him. He had such a gentle way with, with people. Brood of vipers! <laughs> I love that. Okay, I, I looked away and I, thought I lost my place for a minute. Okay, here we go. Brood of vipers... Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, we we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, What shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. So each one of these groups of people asked him specifically what they should do, and he gives them specific things according to who they, who they were. And obviously it's speaking about a change of lifestyle change of behavior, conduct, right? Now, as the people were in expectation, verse 15, and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into the barn. But the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. So as he spoke to them about their ways and and the way that the changes that they, they needed to make, you know, It just makes me recall that Carlos Santana had the same message. He agreed. He said, you've got to change your evil ways, baby. (laughs) That was basically his message, wasn't it? Carlos Santana is such a new ager. Pray for him. 
new ager to the max. Anyway, he wasn't agreeing with Jesus. Um, or John the, John the Baptist either, for that matter. One other passage that we, we see that the Apostle John wrote, adding to what Luke wrote, John 1, 29 to 34. John had written about things that Jesus had spoken similar to what we just read from Luke. But he said the next, the next day, John writes, the next day John saw Jesus coming down or coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore a witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Now, this is from... Uh, this is the place from which Apollos came. He, he was a disciple of John. But we're, we're going to see, if we go over to chapter 19, um, verses 1 and 2. We'll be looking at this next week in some detail. It says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and Finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now remember, Paul had already been in Ephesus, but Apollos had been there for some time. So did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So, so we see that Apollos... Re receiving the instruction in, in the way of the Lord, being a disciple of John the Baptist, basically taught a message of repentance. And, and even though John himself spoke of the Holy Spirit, he spoke of the fact that Jesus would come baptizing in the Holy Spirit, it seemed that he, that is something that Apollos did not share with the people in Ephesus because they didn't even know there was such a thing as the Holy Spirit. When, when uh, Paul gets there in the next chapter, and we'll, we'll look at some details of that again next week. But the point being that even as he was a disciple of John, he didn't even teach completely all that John spoke. That's the point that I'm making because he didn't mention the Holy Spirit. His hearers never heard that. So... Uh, Paul is going to deal with that as he arrives, and we'll look at that next week. But you know, as we see Apollos in his ministry, speaking and teaching accurately and boldly in the synagogue, you know, one thing he did not know, one thing he did not uh, teach is of the receiving of the Holy Spirit. But he did teach other things. But as he's there in, in Ephesus, um, th there, there happened to be a couple there. You see in verse 26, he's speaking boldly in the synagogue, verse 26. Aquila and Priscilla heard him. Now, we know Aquila and Priscilla from the last passage. Uh, they were basically refugees from Rome, if you recall. Uh, the the uh, uh, emperor uh, Claudius uh, had uh, uh, demanded that all the Jews leave from Rome. And so we, we found them in Corinth. When Paul came to Corinth, Paul uh, met up with them and uh, because they were all tent makers. And, and you know, I, I imagine it this way. We're not told how long um, Aquila and Priscilla actually knew Paul during their stay in, uh, uh, during, during Paul's stay there in 
in Corinth. But, but I imagine it was pretty close to the entire whole year and a half. You know, because I would imagine that one of the first things Paul would do is, you know, how can I get situated to support myself here? And he found some tent makers. That's how I imagine it. That, that makes sense to me. But, we, but again, we don't really know for sure. But the point being, they connected because of their tent making uh, uh, um, uh, way of living. And as they connected, they spent, I'll say, nearly a year and a half together. And so Aquila and Priscilla had the blessing of spending that much time with the Apostle Paul as he was ministering there in Corinth. And we know that they spent that much time there. Uh, it's, it spoke of it in, in the previous passage. Remember, Jesus had told the Apostle Paul, you know, don't be afraid. Uh, I have many people in this city. They're not going to attack you to harm you. They did attack, but he was not harmed physically. Uh, and, and, and so we, we see those, those things taking place. But they spent a lot of time with the Apostle Paul. So they had heard from the Apostle Paul the, let's say, the, the, the continuing doctrine that Apollos had not given, that which uh, caused it to be a more complete demonstration of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. He got this help from Aquila and Priscilla, and, and they took it upon themselves to take him aside and give to them, explain to them the way of God more accurately. Now, it's not that it was wrong. Like I said, he taught accurately, as the word tells us, but it was not complete. So they needed more instruction, and Aquila and Priscilla gave that to them. Now, years later, we see the Apostle Paul, shortly before his own departure from this world. I love the way that Paul defines that. He, Paul never writes about a Christian dying. He never does. He doesn't speak of it as death. You know, Jesus sp spoke of it as sleep. We, we see Paul speaks of it as sleep. We also see Paul writing of his own departure, what was al almost at hand. You know, and, and, and that's how we need to see that because, guys, we don't die. We don't. We have God's presence with us now in the presence of his Holy Spirit with us. And we're always going to be in the presence of God from this day forward. Our when the time comes for our bodies to stop working, as Lois's body finally yesterday, her heart finally stopped beating, her lungs finally stopped breathing, and when her spirit, her soul left that body, where did she go? Into the presence of the Lord. And so, and, and as Jesus spoke to Martha, Lazarus's sister, in John chapter 11, that if we believe in him and live, we shall never die. In Christ, you and I are immortal. That doesn't mean our bodies are immortal. But we're going to get one that is. <laughs> we are, aren't we? You guys ought to be cheering about that. <laughs> you know, I mean, we are going to get one that is. So th that, that, that's what we see. Uh, that's what we see there. But again, just months before Paul acknowledging his own departure, as he wrote his second letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he wrote this to, t to Timothy, a young pastor. And the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And we see there what, what I like to refer to as a chain of discipleship. We have four generations of discipleship just in that one verse alone. We've got Paul teaching Timothy, being exhorted to teach faithful men who will teach others also. So you've got Paul, Timothy, faithful men, and others also, uh, uh, other faithful men, you would assume, that, that are going to be taught. And we all are involved in that chain of discipleship, every one of us. Every one of us are part of that kind of a chain. 
Um, it's God's pattern. And guys, we've got to keep the train rolling. We, we, we've got to add links to that chain. Now, now, and again, this is, these are chains of discipleship, not necessarily salvation. Not that we shouldn't be preaching the gospel and living the gospel to others that they might get saved, but once they are saved, training them, teaching them, giving them scripture, pulling them alongside, helping them in their walk with the Lord as we have been helped in our walk with the Lord with others before us. Every one of us has been and is still being discipled somehow, and every one of us need to be somehow uh, playing a role of a disciple in another. It does, you don't have to know the Word of God perfectly in order to do that. Basically, just living for Jesus and sharing the, the passages, the verses, even the worship songs that may be important to you, and, and helping them to live their life for Jesus. It's not really a complicated thing. And I think, I think that many of us don't, don't um, take the responsibility of discipleship for ourselves simply because we feel inadequate. We haven't been trained. Well, yeah, well you, you have been. Do you read the Word of God? The Holy Spirit's training you. You go to church, you're, you're, you're being trained through, the, through the, the teaching and preaching of your pastor. Do, do, you, do you attend Bible study groups? You're being trained there. Do you have friends that, 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 that you have helped and, and, and help you? I mean, does anybody pray for you? Anybody come alongside? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's all discipleship. It really is. And it teaches us how to live for God. It teaches us how to uh, give ourselves to others for their benefit in their own relationship with the Lord and their walk with him. So, so it's a pattern. So the question becomes this. One, who has discipled you in the past? Probably more than one person. You know, and if you've gone to more than one church, you've been discipled by a number of pastors, you know, from the pulpit. You know, as you come week in and week out here, you're, you're being discipled by me through the word of God. The Holy Spirit is teaching us. He's the one who does that. But he uses people, doesn't he? And he wants to use you in other people's lives. And it's not just that we look around for people. I mean, there are people around us. For example, our family. Every mom and dad disciples their kids. Every Christian mom and dad disciples their kids. Pouring Jesus into them. Right? That's, that's what we do. So, that's, that's the idea, you know, and, and you know, we've, we, we've got to keep on passing that baton, you know, the, the, the name that we've developed for our men's conference every January, which we'll be doing again next year. Be praying for that, but it's exactly that. The idea of that particular conference is discipling our children, discipling our children. Pass the baton of faith to our kids. We've got to do that. We're responsible to do that. Now, after this, we see, after Aquila and Priscilla took him, took him aside, and by the way, not only were they, Aquila and Priscilla, faithful to give to Apollos what they had learned from the Apostle Paul to, uh, to really equip Apollos in a way that would make his teaching more complete, but we also see Apollos humbly receiving. You know, Apollos could have said, you guys aren't gifted the way that I am. You guys weren't raised in Alexandria. You don't have the training in, in, in the books like I have. You, you, you don't know the word of God as well as I do. So, no. You know what I mean? I mean, he could have done something like that. And, and, and we, in our pride, can be in a place where we don't listen. You know, um, a pastor, for example, can easily share with someone who has something to share with them. It's like, you know what? No, I, I, don't, I don't need to hear from you. You haven't been a Christian as long as I have. You haven't studied the word as long as I have. No, you know, but we, in, we, we, we need to hear because, gosh, God, God might be sending that person, you know? We, we, we need to hear what God has to say through, through others. 
they, he was open to hear. And so we see there in verse 27, he desired to cross to Achaia. Now that's the, the southern part of Greece where we see Corinth is. Um, Athens is there in, in Achaia. He wanted to cross the Aegean Sea from Ephesus to go to Corinth. Now in the past, we've talked about the Apostle Paul leaving from Corinth to go to Ephesus. They were just taking the boat the other, the other direction, or, or uh, Apollos was. And, and as he went to uh, Achaia, he got a, a letter of recommendation from those in Ephesus, specifically Aquila and Priscilla, who had spent a great deal of time there in Corinth. And so a letter of recommendation from them would be very important in them receiving Apollos because letters were necessary because there were people who were going around to churches teaching who weren't necessarily preaching the, the gospel of Christ accurately. False teachers. We see that developing already in the first century. You know, and so letters of recommendation were, were important. You know, who sent you? Who are you affiliated with? Who do you know? What, what, what group do you study with? Who's your pastor? You know, those, I mean, those are the kind of things that we'll ask because we want a recommendation based on their own past. And it would be, it'd be nice to receive a, a, a letter of recommendation and stuff in, in, in regard to those kinds of things. But those are the kinds of questions that, that we would ask today. But the idea is, of course, he received this letter from Aquila and Priscilla. Now, Apollos became very highly respected among the Corinthians. Um, in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 12 and 13, the Apostle Paul, this is, of course, his first letter to the Corinthians. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And, and there, of course, he's, he's speaking in terms of unity. And to combat the division that had entered then, and there were various sects. I shouldn't say sect. Well, kind of like a denominationalism kind of a thing. You know, are you, are you Baptist? Are, 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 are you Presbyterian? Or whatever it might be, you know. Um, and, and, and the church can become divided through those things. And that's one of the problems with denominations is that it can bring division. It often does. It doesn't have to, but it tends toward that because we as people, that's where our minds are. You know, we, we want everything explained and we want everything labeled. You know, uh, and, and we, we need to just simply be, be able to say, you know, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a disciple of Christ. And, and we learn maybe in different ways from various uh, denominations or, or Calvary Chapel. You know, many people look at us as a denom denomination, but we're, we're a movement, a non-denominational movement is what we are. And, and um, we... Uh, we, we, we tend to overemphasize those kinds of things as people, but Paul deals with this here. But the point that I'm making here is that the name Apollos is linked with Paul and Cephas, who is Peter, and Christ. There were people saying that Apollos is the one who taught me. He became a very uh, important and highly respect, respected individual there in Corinth. That's pretty amazing to me. And then later in this first letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 3, verses 5 to 9, we see this. Paul writes, Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. 
So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. So in that passage, Paul calls Apollos a fellow worker. He says that I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the increase. And we we believe that, but Apollos was that guy who watered there in the city of Corinth after Paul had brought the gospel. And as the Lord had told Paul, I have many in this city, those that came to faith after Paul left, uh, being with them a year and a half, Apollos came watering those those hearts, that, that, that those people who had come to Christ. So he became very important, and, and it's just interesting to see all this as we see him introduced here at the end of chapter 18. As he began to understand more because of the ministry of Aquila and Priscilla and the things that they received from Paul, we see there that when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. Greatly helped those who had believed. So he was doing the watering. He was helping them. He was following up with them. He was mentoring them. He was, he was, he was sharing the scriptures with them. And when we say scriptures, of course, we're talking about the Old Testament scriptures at this point in time. Uh, those things that, that God had given to the Jews, he greatly helped them. For, verse 28, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that, Je- that Jesus is the Christ. We see a twofold ministry for him. He was watering, he was discipling, he was helping those who already had come to faith. As we see there, he greatly helped those who believed uh, who, uh, through grace, uh, which is a point that we need to take. It is through grace that we believe. You are saved by grace through faith, right? Ephesians 2.8. So by, by that grace, but he helped them uh, as a fellow worker watering those hearts. And he also, secondly, vigorously refuted the Jews publicly. Vigorously refuted. He powerfully refuted. Or he mightily convinced. These are different ways that that is, that, that that is uh, translated. Another word that could be used rather than vigorously is vehemently. I mean, th- this was a very powerful demonstration of truth using the scriptures. So as was mentioned, it wasn't something that just came from his mind. It was from his heart. I mean, he was totally and completely convinced and his heart was given over to the reality that Jesus is the Messiah. He believed it wholeheartedly. And in believing it wholeheartedly, he shared it wholeheartedly. He spoke of it wholeheartedly to people around him. And, but this is the way that he shared it with the Jews who had not yet come to faith. As he would perhaps on a weekly basis go to the synagogue. But he was sharing with them the reality of Jesus being the Christ from the scriptures. So, so we see here that the scriptures are incredibly important. From the scriptures, everything that we speak in regard to the truth, in regard to spiritual truth, is got to be grounded in the scriptures. Always from the scriptures. Guys, I encourage you to, that as you, as you study God's word, as you read God's word, put verses to memorization. You know, at, at the very least, even if you don't know, if you're not able to, to quote it word for word, know basically what it says and where it is so that you can find it and, and just read it. Because you know what? 
nobody cares what you think. And nobody cares what I think either. It's what God says. That's what's important. That's what we need to, to bring to people. It's not, it's not even, as, even as I am informed by the word of God. No, it's like God has spoken these things. Now, now it's true. I mean, the, the things that we might speak, and, and, and I pray that on a week-to-week basis as I'm teaching you God's word, that the things that I say, which I believe wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly in my heart, but they're in my heart because God placed them there through the word of God. It's his word. It's not what Pastor Randy thinks. It's what God, the word of God says. Because it doesn't matter what I think. Because what I think is not going to save you. It's not going to help you with your walk with the Lord. Now, prayerfully, I will be able to help you in your walk with the Lord as you watch me walk with the Lord. But in terms of truth, it's got to come from the Scriptures. Here and here alone. From the Scriptures is one of the most, if not the most, important phrase you'll find in the scriptures from the scriptures we've got to be grounded in the scriptures so that when we speak it is from the scriptures as we see apollos he had a working knowledge of god's word even as i say say that and i shared earlier about how we don't have to know the word of god um as if we'd been to seminary or something like that. That was my intent earlier. Because we, we, we all can feel like we're just simply not adequately prepared to, to do it. But it's like whatever word you, you do know, whatever scriptures you do know, share them. Whatever scriptures are important to you, share them. How do you know that Jesus is the Christ? Well, share what the word of God has to say about that. Now, in our age, in this age of... Um, relativism where there is no absolute truth there are many people around us who don't really care what the bible has to say that's what they say but guys don't allow that to deter you from speaking the scriptures because spiritually whether they know it or not whether they like it or not whether they agree with it or not we know it to be true there is power in the word of God, right? So don't let the culture keep you from speaking God's word because there's power there. Because the Holy Spirit can do something with the word of God. But if you try to rephrase, I mean, rephrasing it is okay as long as it's, is, as it's truth. You don't have to quote, you know, the King James Version or the New King James Version or the New American Standard. You don't have to quote it, but speak it accurately from the word of God. And the Holy Spirit will use it. We, we can't downplay that. Okay, how am I going to do this? You know, they don't believe this. They don't believe that. They, they don't believe in truth. And blah, blah, blah. And it's like, just speak it. It doesn't matter if they receive it when you speak it. The Holy Spirit will use it, right? Do you guys believe that? The Word of God. The Word of God is incredibly important. And what is it that he, that he was showing the Jews? That Jesus is the Christ. That he is indeed their Messiah, as, prophes as prophesied in the scriptures. And, and guys, we see there that it's all about the person of Jesus. He is God. He is the one and only Son of God, the only begotten of the Father. He is the one who created the heavens and the earth alongside the other two persons of the Godhead, God the Father as well as the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God. It speaks of the, the, the Trinity, the, 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 wor the word for God there. I mean, it's the person of Jesus. It's always all about who Jesus is and what he already has done for us. Always. The person of Christ. It's not about doing things. It's not about behavior. It's not about our ways. And while we may need to change our evil ways, baby, 
<laughs> you were wondering if I was going to say that. I, I can't resist it. Anyway, no, we may need to do that, you know, but, you know, when you're sharing the gospel with people who, who don't know Christ, you know, what they're doing at the time is, is basically irrelevant because if they try to, to reform themselves without Jesus, it's going to be, they're, they're, they're still going to go to hell. They might wind up with some, some pretty decent people at, in the end, but without salvation, bottom line, they are sinners in need of Christ. They need Jesus. It's about the person of Jesus. You know, as we've said so many times before, you know, a, a fisherman catches fish first and then cleans them. And, and God catches up for himself, and then he cleans us afterward. Now, where our behavior matters is that we're all sinners. We all have done things wrong. You know, and so that, that's where it's important. But remember, it's always about Jesus. That's where it was for Apollos as he taught publicly from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. To the Jews, that meant something very, very important. As we share who Jesus is, that's, what, that's what's important. I just encourage you guys, as you are living your life, as you are walking with the Lord, you are sharing the gospel, living the gospel. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about who he is. Allow your ministry to those around you to always be about him. Amen? And Father, help us to do so. And Lord, we pray that you will help us in our walk with you. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Oh, we need his power. We need his help. It's so cool, Lord, though, the way that you've given us your spirit, who first gave your word to men to write it, He's in us and with us as our teacher to help us to understand what it means. And he also empowers us. He enables us to do what you have given us to do. But first, he has revealed Jesus to us. He has revealed our need for Jesus. God, help us as we minister to others around us. Everyone in this room is thinking of someone who needs Jesus in their lives. It could be a friend, a coworker, a classmate. It could be a neighbor. It could be someone in the family, a son or a daughter, perhaps a husband or a wife, maybe a mom or a dad, um, maybe a, grand, a, a grandchild, whatever it may be, Lord. Help us to share the truth of who you are from the scriptures, from your truth. And we pray, Lord, that you'll use us. Lord, give us the privilege. You've given us that privilege. Lord, might we take advantage of it? And so, God, I pray that you pour your spirit out upon this place. Everyone here, use us for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together, guys. And bless you, by the way. <laughs>